Welcome to the Faith in an Anxious World Parenting Podcast, where we have hope-filled conversations about teenagers and anxiety. I'm your host, Kara Powell. And I'm Brad Griffin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Faith in an Anxious World four-week high school curriculum, available exclusively at fulleryouthinstitute.org slash anxiousworld. This podcast is part of the parent resources that accompany that curriculum. If you found this episode because a youth leader sent you the link, we are thrilled. We're so glad you've joined us to hear more from a parent's perspective about what your student learned this week. And in fact, this episode is tailored to fit with what your students are learning in the fourth lesson. But if you found us some other way, we are just so glad you're here. Welcome. You know, Kara, we all feel anxious sometimes. And as challenging as this anxious world is, and we feel it sometimes more than others, we know that our lives don't have to be marked only by anxiety. So today's episode is all about thriving. And this episode is extra special because we have a guest host, FYI's good friend, Kevin Doy, who's one of our seminary chaplains here at Fuller, and he's been a longtime pastor. He's going to be conducting the interview. He's also a parent of young adults, so I'll tell you, he knows his stuff. Yeah, I love conversations with Kevin. And this is a great one. Today he's talking with Dr. Pam King, our colleague in the School of Psychology here at Fuller. Uh, Pam is basically a thriving expert. And we've known Pam for years, and we just really, really respect the work that she does at the intersection of human thriving, spiritual development, and in particular for adolescents. She serves here as the Peter Benson Professor of Applied Developmental Science, and um, she is just fun to talk to about these issues. In fact, I had lunch with her today, and we had a great conversation about thriving and our own kids. So I'm excited about this topic because there's so much to be hopeful about here. So much research is being done that can show us reliable and helpful ways that we and our families and our kids can thrive in this anxious world. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Fuller Youth Institute podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Doy. We want to ask today, what is thriving? And more importantly, how do we as parents encourage and support thriving in the lives of our children and other young people in our lives? And to help us understand thriving, I'm joined today by Dr. Pamela Epstein-King. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and how it relates to young people? Sure. Thank you, um, Kevin, and FYI for having me, first of all. So I am a professor in the School of Psychology at Fuller Seminary, and particularly my work is focused in the Thrive Center for Human Development. I'm also an ordained Presbyterian minister, and my scholarship focuses on the intersection of human development and theological perspectives of development, and I'm extremely interested in understanding what it means for humans to thrive and how faith fits into that journey. I'm really curious in uh, your years of experience, both in the church and your research, you know, historically, the teen years, adolescent years are always fraught with developmental challenges, uh, social challenges. Is there anything particular about today and today's environment 
that is different? I would say so. Well, then first off, I always see challenges as opportunities to grow. Um, and part of my work has actually been really shaped by what might be called the positive youth development movement. And I think because of my faith orientation, I have a very optimistic view of humankind and believe very much in the dignity and hope of all persons and really look at young people more as resources that can be developed rather than problems to be managed, which is often how people view adolescence. Um, so as we turn to thinking about some of the challenges that young people face today, I, I, I still continue to think of them as opportunities. <laughs> so youth today have lots of opportunities for growth, <laughs> given the challenges that are out there. You know, as I know has been discussed in the podcast, there's a lot of pressure on kids today because we have access to more information. Somehow we've ratcheted up expectations for young people. Within the American culture, uh, more is more is almost the gospel, mm -hmm. and progress and growth are just accepted um, as beneficial and good. But I think that we have ramped up the acceleration of growth and development and progress so quickly that our human development can't actually reasonably keep up with it mm -hmm. without producing uh, problems like anxiety and um, decreased social skills. Uh, I love the way that you frame challenges as opportunities. And I think being able to see uh, emerging adults in a very positive light is just really helpful, I think, uh, for, for parents. Uh, I want to um, turn to this, the term thriving. Mm -hmm. um, help us understand how you think about that word. What does it mean for you? Words like thriving, flourishing, well-being have really taken over, captivated a lot of the public, at least billboard space, <laughs> and maybe imaginations as well. If you were to look up thriving in the dictionary, you would see that it means growing vigorously or flourishing. We, when thinking about thriving, pause and say, well, is all growth good? Not necessarily so. Like if I grow in my capacity to lie and deceive, am I thriving? Probably not. So we think, what does it mean to thrive and where are we growing towards? And so as a person of faith, I then turn to my theological and biblical resources to think about what does God hope for kids today? What does God hope for adults today? What did he create human beings for? And so that orientation then shapes and informs the way I think about what we grow towards in thriving. Yeah, so it, it sounds like thriving is more of a movement towards something positive than it is some destination that we're going to arrive at exactly. tomorrow or the next day. Yes, that is often something I like to distinguish, that thriving is a process or it is a journey that is more um, defined by the direction in which it's growing than actually reaching a destination. Um, when I have interviewed kids about concepts of thriving, they can get really anxious and be like, oh, no, you're not, you're not going to give us more benchmarks. There's not going to be a thriving test. We already have the SAT, the ACT, the ISEE, the ABC. Please don't create a thriving test. And so I try and provide a loose framework that really enables people to focus on growing into becoming the person they were created to be. So a lot of what has to do with thriving is growing into one's authentic self. Uh, but we don't do that on our own. We do that in relationship and for relationship with others. Um, as Christians, we believe that we are wonderful creations, fearfully and wonderfully made, 
we're uniquely gifted spiritually with spiritual gifts, but we also recognize that we are born into God's creation and a part of his body, and that God invites each person, I believe at every stage of their life, to be active participants in God's ongoing work in this world. And when we view children or adolescents or 20-somethings as people who are active agents in God's ongoing work in this world. It's a very empowering lens to view kids with. So we hope to enable them to thrive, to become themselves as they are part of God's flourishing work in this world. You know, as Christians, we also realize that Jesus is the perfect image of God and that part of our journey of thriving is becoming conformed to Christ. So we are unique selves, we don't become uniform to Christ. We're not all uniform people, but we become like Christ as ourselves. So Kevin becoming conformed to Jesus looks a lot like Kevin. And me is going to look a little different becoming like Christ. I love that. Can you share just as a psychologist, obviously there's a benefit to quiet oneself. What is happening in in our brains or adolescence mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we take time to stop, be quiet on the inside? Mm-hmm. Is there something that, that happens in us? There absolutely is. It's a really profound question. And it's such an exciting era in psychology right now because of the explosion in neuroscience. We actually have greater understanding of what physically or biologically is going on for humans um, in different experience in their life. So it turns out rest is extremely important for our brains, whether it's sleeping rest or whether it's just deliberate pauses of silence. We often get creative insights in those moments. Our synapses are able to connect and different aspects of our brain connect and integrate, which is extraordinary, allowing for creativity, insight, and also opportunities for self-reflection. What I often find these days is that young people have so much bombarding them, so much information, entertainment, demands. They don't have enough offline time to synthesize that. And consequently, their own self-concept is less clear and less accessible. And when we don't have a clear sense of self or identity, that is a great cause of anxiety. So we both need the downtime where we're not actively reflecting, but we also need active reflection time and also sharing about who we are in an authentic way, not just a curated, picture-perfect way. You talk often about the value of having other adults in their lives other than their parents, Mm -hmm. obviously their parents, but others as well. We often call that a circle of care. Mm -hmm. And I know as a, a parent myself of teens that Uh, There are some things that other adults, other than my wife and myself, who are able to contribute to my kids' lives in ways that we can't, either because other adults can say things that (laughs) my kids will receive. Um, Can you share a little bit about the importance of a circle of care for teens and the role of the church in... um, and being aware of that or encouraging that in teens' lives? Kevin, that 
is a great question. Circles of care are so profound and important. And I think in this era where so many relationships have gone digital and online, that having the opportunity to interact with other adults in person is especially important. Mm. That's not to say that we can't have meaningful interactions online or through social media with other adults, but uh, face-to-face is really important. Um, So just to speak to that real quickly, as young people are pursuing this journey of thriving or hopefully on this journey of thriving, other adults can serve many important functions. And yes, the parent parent-child relationship is so complicated that often there are emotions that dysregulate, whether it's the teenager or the adult. I know what happens in my family where I get dysregulated and frustrated, that those relationships are often not as complex with other adults outside the family. So they can play a privileged and special role in kids' lives. And some of the really practical ways they can function is that as young people are trying to become this self, this authentic self that I've talked about, Adults can serve to mirror and feedback their interests. Like, oh, wow, you got so animated when you were making that lemonade stand or when you came up with that idea or when I was volunteering with you when we went down to the Casa trip in Mexico. I just When you were around young kids, I have never seen you seem more animated. They can also serve as great examples of how they deal with their own anxiety of how they conceptualize God, about how they rely on prayer or different spiritual disciplines in their own life. They can also be a place or safe place where young people can process those emerging ideas about identity, um, where kids can hear themselves speak and adults can mirror back what they hear saying. Are there practical ways that parents can be involved in initiating or helping to Um, make those connections for young people and adults? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we have a technical term for that called social channeling. Parents can be effective with directing or channeling who their children hang out with or spend time with till a certain age. And then, you know, come 16, especially if a young person has their own set of wheels, it becomes um, more challenging. So I think... Parents should be really opportunistic and be somewhat heavy-handed on helping their children and teens find a great group of both peers and also caring adults, whether it's in the church or scouting or good coaches or finding a tutor that may have a personal interest in the young person, not just the academic interest, or a neighbor that might have aligned interests. But I think all day long, parents should be mindful of that. Yeah, I know in our own lives that we've suggested to our kids to reach out to certain adults, and we've also spoken to adults to say, hey, would you mind, or if you're open to it, would you initiate with our children? Absolutely. No, I have been proactive with that. I am so grateful for Young Life staff, Uh, unexpected resource of caring adults Mm -hmm. in my kids' life have been their cousins Mm. because they were kids when they met, but then the older cousins became adults. And that has just been a fabulous discovery and surprise to see how much my kids love, cherish, trust their cousins, and what great influences and caring people they can be in their lives. Yeah, that's so good. And I just have to ask you because I know that – 
Parents, you know, rightly so, are often concerned that their children are spending too much time on their phones or screens. Can you share a little bit about how you think about technology and social media in terms of thriving among um, teens? And is there any guidance that you can give to parents about about uh, those concerns? Well, I do think um, social media is a great cause of anxiety within our younger generations, our teenagers, our children, and our 20-somethings. There's a lot of research that actually demonstrates that, that's longitudinal, that correlates, that technology actually predicts anxiety and depression and even suicidation, um, which is very tragic. And technology is not going away. So I think as the adult and responsible generation, we need to be responsible and think about how technology can be a tool for thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, technology gets so much attention right now, and often in school discussions where I am with technology, people talk about it like technology is the goal. We have to get kids technology. And I think we need to really keep in mind that technology is a means mm-hmm. to another end, whether it's education and learning or in the conversation we're having today, to thriving. Um, and in the recent Fuller magazine, I actually have an article on thriving in technology. And because there are so many negative, there are so much negative journalism and media around technology, um, I, again, took my opportunistic or optimistic <laughs> lens and focused on um, how, how actually technology can help um, promote thriving. Um, and so I just addressed three points, which I think are really important, and I try and reinforce them in my own children and in my own life. And it's easier for me to be mindful in my own life than it is to control what my kids do. I confess that. But I talk about technology is good when it distills, not dilutes relationships. So when technology dilutes, connects us with so many people that we don't have true intimacy and accountability, then it's not helpful. So... Technology often gives us the experience of intimacy, sharing ourselves or feeling like someone else is sharing with us, but it doesn't often give accountability. Mm -hmm. And a good relationship Mm -hmm. needs to be marked by both intimacy and accountability. Mm -hmm. So when technology can help distill that and solidify that. So those caring adults I talked about, technology can be great. My kids' cousins live far away. And just a text checking in means a lot to my Mm -hmm. kids. So technology can be a friend to those uh, um, caring relationships. And then I talk about that when technology does not explode a kid's sense of identity but helps them explore it, that is a good idea. And parents need to be really on their game here because kids have access to so much information, so many different lifestyles, so many different values, so many different belief systems and narratives that that can be really overwhelming for a young person. So if a young person's task is to begin to construct and form an identity, both at conscious and unconscious levels, The internet can just really explode (laughs) their sense of self rather than being a tool or a means to exploring who they are. And, you know, as kids go through the very natural tendency to explore different identities, the internet can be so helpful. You can learn really quick that you're acting like a jerk. 
and get kicked out of or unfriended. Or you might be exploring different passions or interests that are really fundamental to your identity. So it can be really constructive that way. So again, if technology helps you explore, <laughs> but doesn't explode one sense of identity. And then lastly, when technology, going back to what we were talking about, enables us to pursue purpose, but not performance, mm. that can be helpful. So again, if kids can explore what they love, learn information about how to make surfboards, or recipes, or learn an instrument, or do things that is aligned with their purpose and their passion, that's great. Yeah. But when it becomes just about performing and more expectations and doing more online programs and doing Stanford U and this and that, that causes anxiety. And then along with that is um, having access to great practices. Mm -hmm. Parents would be wise to be on their game about the positive things that are on the Internet, like apps that guide kids through spiritual practices or enable them to begin to track interests or sparks, however you want to refer to that. I wanted to um, ask a very um, kind of day-to-day, week-to-week question. What's the fruit of a person who's thriving? You know, three, four, five years down the line, when we look at our kids, what are we hoping to see? That's a great question. First of all, Kevin, I think, again, just to frame a lens that we might view our children through is to realize that because of the radical brain growth during adolescence, we should see a lot of inconsistent behavior. Okay. So almost if it's too actually, consistent, that's really reassuring for right? Yeah, right? Yeah. If it's too consistent, that actually could be a problem because that could be an emphasis on performance um, or that might be an orientation towards meeting other people's expectations and not being an authentic expression of the that's self. Really so we want to look for inconsistent behavior. But so we want to see over time maybe more positive things than crazy making things that annoy parents, like forgetting things and <laughs> not signing up for things. But in seriousness, some things that I love to look for is an old-fashioned word, and I'm going to use the word virtues. So we want to see the development and, over time, stability of things like compassion, of things like tenacity, or the overused word these days, grit. Grit is great, but again, what direction is all this hard work going in? We want to see that directed by a virtuous moral compass that is towards caring for others, caring for ourselves, living in relationship with God. We want to see patience. I'm not sure if this is a virtue, but something in psychology we know that's really helpful is goal setting. So we don't expect that out of younger kids, but we do want to see the development of the ability to actually identify goals that one wants to pursue. And then also the ability to access resources to pursue those goals. And then when the goals are wrong, to actually be able to change them and adapt them. That's a really wonderful component, an important part of thriving. As I mentioned, I've been writing a lot on joy. So going back to virtues, we want to see joy. If kids are overly anxious, something's wrong. We want to see them delighting in life. A really important aspect of resilience, 
of when life is hard in its finals or there's an illness or a death in the family or a peer group rejects a young person, a real mark of maturing and maturity is to have joy in those things that ultimately matter, even in the face of loss and suffering. And that's a tall order for a teenager, especially if they're suffering around peer group rejection. Um, So, but that is something that we grow in as an adult, that capacity to have sorrow and disappointment, but also joy because we know what matters in our life and that God loves us and that God will complete us, Mm. enable this world to flourish, enable us to be united with him. I'm really struck by the way that you have framed this whole conversation. I think as parents, it's um, one, it's really easy to imagine the goal for our children is some form of success, however we're going to define that. And you've really helped us to see that they're, at least from a, a kind of a Christian lens, that to be a thriving, flourishing human being is way beyond... Kind of these temporary temporal successes, but the other thing I noticed is that I think as parents it's very easy to resign ourselves that somebody else is going to shape our kids, whether that's the church or school, or we we just hope that they'll turn out okay someday. Mm-hmm. I, at least what I'm picking up from you is that parents have a really key role in being thoughtful and reflective in the kinds of encouragement and support that we can at least offer our children. One thing that I think the church can do to help parents in this journey is to actually equip and empower parents to have the agency and take ownership of parenting like you alluded to. So often in this culture, we do anticipate that those out there, the professionals, are going to take care of our kids. I know back... When Kara and Brad did Sticky Faith, I talked about the dry cleaner, that often we think about even the church as the dry cleaner. We bring our dirty children who have bruises and moral foibles, and we're going to pick them up all pressed and ironed and clean. And the church really needs not to just say, hey, we're going to do cool youth group stuff, or we're going to put the youth all in the basement or in another building and take them away. Kids need their space, but they need their parents to be actively engaged and empowered and affirmed. Is there one thing that you could say to parents to support their teens uh, in this, you know, this very particular season of life? What would you say to parents to encourage them? Maybe not what you expected, but I would say that they need to consider their own process of thriving in their life because they need to be an example for their children. And if they're not authentically and genuinely thriving, it's going to be hard not only to exemplify that, but to have the energy and the joy that infuses and provides the ability for their kids to thrive. And that's really hard because even, you know, in the context of the Christian faith, we think a lot about sacrifice. And parents often sacrifice their sleep I'm very guilty of that. They sacrifice a lot of themselves so that um, their kids can, quote, unquote, be successful. But when we're talking about thriving, at least gospel narrative-informed thriving, we have different metrics, and we need to thrive as well. And that doesn't mean we don't sacrifice at times, because as I talked about, thriving is give and take. 
and we often are giving. But there have to be times where we are becoming more like Christ. If we're becoming more anxious and more stressed out, we ourselves are not conforming to Christ. And if we lose sight of who we are and our passions and what makes us tick, then we also can't exemplify that for our children, and we won't have the contagious joy and energy to give them and love. Terrific. That's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Pam. I've enjoyed our conversation today. Me too, Kevin. Thanks for asking. Wow. You can certainly tell that Pam's not just a world-class researcher, but she's also a thoughtful and intentional parent. I especially love how she really raises a vision that kids aren't just challenges to be dealt with, but our kids can be active agents in God's ongoing work. And I'll tell you, I have quoted her so many times that uh, churches aren't a dry cleaner that we can check our kids into, but that we are part of God's transformation in our kids. So I'm thrilled that she talked about that today. Such an insightful conversation. And this week marks the end of our four-part series, Faith in an Anxious World. But hopefully for you and the teenager or teenagers you love, it will be the beginning of many conversations. We are going to keep having these conversations. We're going to have them in our own families and here at FYI. And we'll keep adding conversations to this podcast on the topic of teenagers and mental health. So do stay tuned for more episodes. And in the meantime... You can check out fulleryouthinstitute.org slash anxious world for more mental health resources and tools for you and your teenager. Thanks again for joining us. 